Welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to episode 32 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil Callan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome along and thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we like to try and keep you up to date with what's going on in theatre on the Isle of Man and chat to the cast and creatives of upcoming shows to find out a little bit more about the shows and the people behind them. Coming up in this week's episode... In the final part of our Sweeney Todd trilogy, I'm joined by one of the newest leading ladies of Manx Theatre, ahead of her performance as Mrs Lovett in the Manx Operatic Society's production of Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which, following an unexpected delay, will now run from Saturday the 12th to Friday the 18th of March. When we recorded this episode, on a rare night off from rehearsals, we were not aware of the impending delay, and had assumed we would be open when this episode dropped. We'll find out a little more about the show, her character, and see how well she knows the show. You can listen to all of our previous episodes through all of the usual podcast outlets and at manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. Whilst you're there, make sure to subscribe, give us a like, rate and leave a little review and share with all your friends. Make sure you keep up to date with what's going on between episodes by following Manx Theatre Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and at Manx Theatre Pod on Twitter. Okay, down to business. Joining me today on the podcast is an actor, writer and director who's becoming one of the leading ladies in Manx Theatre, playing the role of Mrs Lovett in the current production of Sweeney Todd, Gemma Varnum. Welcome to the Manx Theatre podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. It's great to have you here, Gemma. So, as we said, well, tonight, as, as far as we're concerned, is Monday the 21st of February. For us, it's just under two weeks to go until opening night, but this will be going out on the Monday of show week for us, so we'll have had one under our, one already under our belt, and the second one just about to happen. And I've just got all the hairs on my arms have just stood an end whilst thinking about that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's getting very close now, isn't it? Yes. So how how are you feeling? How is how is Mrs. Lovett going for you? Uh, Mrs. Lovett's going very well, I think. It was. I mean, this is by far the biggest role I've ever had to play. Mm-hmm. In terms of word count, because she never shuts up, <laughs> um, but also just it's it's such a dream role for me. Yeah, and it, it has been for a long time. It was one I never thought I stood a chance of getting. I know yeah. people say when they audition, oh, oh, I'd be happy to just be in the chorus, but yeah. that that really is all all I expected. So to get to to get to play a role like this has been incredible, but also very very daunting. Yeah, I mean. Um, it's- it's it's a Sondheim, so it's never going to be straightforward, is it? No, it's fiendish. It's the kind of show where none of us can drop our focus, take our eye off the ball for a second. There isn't a page in this score that's easy and straightforward. So it's been a huge challenge. And I th- I, I've been doing theatre for a long time, but never anything this, uh, uh, as I say, a, a role this big. So yeah. it's, and, and playing opposite. David Artis, who's of course Manx Theatre royalty <laughs> as well. And I, I always think people catch sight of the posters and go, Oh, David Artis, he's very good. Who the heck's that? <laughs> um, so I feel like I've got a I've got a lot to prove. Yeah. Um and ho- hopefully people will be pleasantly surprised. Oh, I'm sure they will. I mean you're doing a fantastic job. I mean the character character of Mrs. Lovett though, there's 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 many levels to her, isn't there? There's, there's... She's very complex. I mean yeah. she's um She's quite a comic character. She's the sort of lighter foil to Sweeney who can be very brooding and yeah. monosyllabic sometimes. And she's almost like something out of a very grisly music hall act. Yeah. So she can be funny, but also 
very ruthless and callous and yeah. has this extremely dark side to her. But then sometimes she can display compassion mm. and, and has a few moments that are somewhere, you know, verging on quite touching. Yeah, I mean, she has these real motherly moments with, with Tobias, certainly in the, in the second half, where she could kind of adopts him as, as her own. Yeah. But in the first half, she's she's almost steering Sweeney down this road of, of revenge, isn't she? She's... I mean, they're kind of using each other. Yeah. Um, but she is very manipulative. Mm. She has... She's always nursed this crush on Sweeney. Yeah. Um, and now he's walked back into her life and her situation is quite desperate. The business is not going well. Mm-hmm. Customers are not turning up to the pie shop. And this man, who she's always been fond of, walks back through her door and she kind of hangs all her hopes on him mm-hmm. for a better life. And she she knows he's he's hell bent on revenge, but she kind of, as you say, she steers him yeah. in a direction that benefits her. And I think that's what makes their dynamic so interesting. Even when they're working together mm-hmm. and seem to be getting along, I think there's always that undercurrent of a power struggle, and which one of them is in control yeah. at, at any given time. Because he is a dangerous man. Yeah. He's... And I think there's something about that that kind of appeals to her. Mm-hmm. She's def- I think she's the kind of woman who would go and marry an East End gangster. Yeah. You know? But she is trying to keep him on a leash mm-hmm. and and make this situation work. And whether she succeeds is, uh, well, you'll, you'll have to come and see how that works out. Oh, yes, definitely. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, as far as we're concerned, as far as this podcast is concerned, we're open, we're running. Tickets are available. Get your tickets and come down and see it because we're on until Saturday. Make sure you get there quick. Because once we're finished, we're gone. And that's it. Yep. Musicals then are something that's, as far as I'm aware, that they're fairly new to you. I mean, I've known you in, in theatre for, for a long time, but you've, you've tend to stray more towards the, the straight plays with the, the Legion players and the service players, etc. Yeah, I spent years with the Legion players. But when I moved over here, that's what I first got involved with. Spent a large number of years with them and, and played some great roles. But And I always loved musical theatre but never really thought I could be a part of it never mm-hmm. thought I had much of a singing voice and then I got involved with the the Peel Panto uh-huh. and I was playing the principal boy and I had to sing a duet with um, a friend of mine Mel Reed, who's got a stunning voice and she Mel. she sang opera classical and I felt quite intimidating <laughs> having to sing with her but it inspired me to go and get some lessons mm-hmm. and luckily I, I found the most amazing teacher who brought things out in my voice that I had no idea were there. Yeah. And and encouraged me to to start going for musicals and I I went for a show with the Gilbert and Sullivan Society as was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then kind of made that transition. So which which show was that then? Which was the Uh the Mikado. The Mikado. Oh, so I Mikado, had right. a, a small part in that, but then that turned out to be their last GNS show at the Gaiety. After right. that year they made the decision that GNS just doesn't have the same audience appeal that it did yeah. a few decades ago. And it's they quite were... niche, GNS, these days, isn't it? It's it's niche, um, and I think it's going to get more and more so. I mean, the vast majority of younger people don't really want to come and see it. No. Um, and so they made that decision to start putting on musicals as opposed to operettas. And the first one that they staged was High Society. Ah, yes. Yes, which we were in together. We were both and, in, yes. and I got the most incredible role in that Mm. the only time in musicals i've ever got to play 
a romantic lead. And after Mrs. Lovett, that, that may not happen again. I think I'm in firm comedy hag territory I mean, for the rest of my days now. Mrs. Lovett has a romance of sorts. In her own head, she certainly does. <laughs> yes, yeah. A bit one-sided, really, maybe. It's very one-sided. I mean, there's there's the song By the Sea yeah. in Act Two, and she's sharing her actually quite modest and very sweet dream of getting married and retiring and running a and b at the seaside, which is lovely. And she's singing this song about how it's going to be and what she dreams of. And you've got Sweeney sat there just sort of going, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, anything you say. And she's not picking up on any of this. As far as she's concerned, they're in love. Now, anyone who's ever done a a show with you will, will know that rather annoyingly, come the first rehearsal, you are usually off book completely, if not. Almost, yeah. yeah. I do are. seem to have a reputation for, for that, don't I? <laughs> it's very daunting and it makes the rest of us feel very, very lazy. Is, is, there, is there a necessity for that? I mean, because I know that you're, you're, you're partially sighted. So is, is that part of, part of the reason behind it? Is that why? It you... is, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, my, my vision is such that I can read standard size print mm-hmm. like in a script, but I would have to hold the book very close to my face, which is, is good neither for me nor the whoever I'm acting opposite. Yeah. So it is, and it's, it's a, a lifetime of practice, really, and, and training my brain to be good at taking in information quickly, whether it's in a, a musical score or a script. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, could, I barely know what day of the week it is, but I could probably still <laughs> rhyme off songs from shows I was in eight or nine years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's just something I've had to adapt yeah. to do. But yeah, I know it's quite annoying for everybody else when I come in going, well, I've already learnt my lines. I think I've got these three lines on that page, but the rest of it, I haven't a clue. Yeah, yeah. Gemma knows the whole thing. Sorry. <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's good though, because it, it, obviously it, it puts a, puts a, a what's, the, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's not a threat, but it, um, it gives us a, a bit of an incentive for us to, to catch up with, with you and, and make us sort of go back and learn our scripts and, and to keep Maybe. up with you. I mean, that's that's absolutely not why I do it. Yeah. I, I say it's it's not it's not a showing off thing. It's not making out that I'm better at this than anybody else. It is purely because it makes my life easier and and everybody else's lives easier who who are working alongside me. So it's probably quite liberating though because you you're not there. I mean, from from day one, you've got rid of the, the book. You can just concentrate on your lines and and acting the scene as as set by the director. Then, yeah, I think everybody finds it easier, even though it's it's daunting that first time when you put your book down. Yeah, and suddenly you've got a free hand and you've no idea what to do with it, and, <laughs> and you can't hide behind your, your book anymore. But yeah, you can, especially with a character like Mrs. Lovett as well. You have that freedom to go into more depth about. Well, okay, I know what I'm saying. Maybe I can try different ways of saying it yeah um with, with someone like mrs lovett we don't actually get much detail about her backstory in the script so yeah. i've kind of filled in some gaps on, on my own and it's not something the audience will will ever know that i've decided but mm. it's it's things that do inform my performance and how i yeah. approach a scene and i once i've got that script out of the way there's there's a lot more time for doing that really digging into a character's psyche which i find quite fun yeah, I mean, I I sit there and I, I scribble all sorts of notes all over my, my my script. So I can when I'm stood there with it in my hand, and more often than not, I'm trying to read what I've got written down the side where I should be yeah. laughing or moving or whatever, rather than concentrating on the lines. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's worse sometimes than rather yeah. than just just not having and just 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 going with it. So, but but does your does your your sight does it affect you on stage or or when you're you're moving around? It all? can do. I mean, there, there's a couple of areas where sometimes I find things a bit difficult. One is in the rehearsal room and yeah. it's, it's learning choreography because mm-hmm. I, 
I'm very much a mover, not a dancer. I've had no dance training. So if I'm, say, in an ensemble doing a big dance number, I'll usually be put on the back row because that's where they put the lots of great dancers. And that's fine. That's where I belong. But with me being at the back, that puts me at quite a distance from the person at the front who's demonstrating steps. So I can't, yeah. usually can't see them in any great detail. And I just have to copy off whoever is in front of me and, and hope to God they know what they're doing. <laughs> Otherwise, there's this whole knock-on effect. So that can be tricky. And in the theatre itself, for anyone listening who's never been backstage at the Gaiety, it is dark and it is cluttered Mm -hmm. with bits of scenery, bits of furniture, other people. I mean, the the last play I was in, I remember being backstage with with a a group of the actors and the stage manager came through and went, oh, mind that spike. <laughs> Which, if you can't see where you're going that way, is not what you want to hear. No. Um, so yeah, so I, especially coming straight off stage as well, when you've had the bright lights in your face, yeah, and then you go straight into that mm. quite pitch black, really. Yeah. It's difficult, and and if I have to move quite quickly to mm. come on the other side of the stage, yeah. in the next scene, I've been quite bruised and battered because I've collided with things. Yeah, but with things like that, there's always a fix and it's not a difficult fix yeah it, it could be just another cast member who's who's not needed could kind of assist me backstage or yeah. in terms of learning steps maybe i could just temporarily move to the front and then yeah. once i know what i'm doing go back into into place but it's i i always say and this isn't just in theater this is just in life in general yeah. the biggest obstacle that i have the biggest difficulty is overcoming other people's attitudes Mm. assumptions and if if it's the kind of company who makes it clear that i can sort of ask for little tweaks to things then that's great they they suddenly stop being problems Mm. um and i have i have to say um the manx ops have been yes brilliant from from day one in fact on day one um nikki the assistant director and ian the stage manager took me to one side and said okay we're aware there's this thing we don't really know anything about it. Could yeah. you explain it? And just how can we help? How can we yeah. support you? And that's that's all that's all it takes. Yeah. Um, that in in all the shows I've ever done, no one's done that. Mm. And that's it's always what I've hoped people would do. And I'm I'm really grateful they they did that. Yeah. Because it makes me feel comfortable to ask for things that I might need. Yeah. And know they've kind of got my back and and with with the way that the the set is being built as well with that sort of high roster there's there's hand handlebars for you to get down and we know that there's 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 a scene with several corpses on the floor that yeah. everything was was moved so that there was a clear route for you through rather yes, than you I worrying was going about to trip standing over, on uh, me. So you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to give too much away about the plot I was going to trip over your corpse at one point. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, John Cumbledge, the director, I've worked with him on a couple of productions before and he's always taken it completely in his stride. I mean, despite the fact that he is very exacting and a real perfectionist, Mm. he's he's never made it seem like I was a bother um, at all, which is great. Sadly, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, when When it does, it's great. When it's not, a small problem can quickly become a very stressful situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, any, any directors of any future shows are, are listening. <laughs> all, all it takes is just if if you're not sure and you're worried about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing, just ask. Yeah, and and we'll have a conversation and yeah. and trust that if I've if I've come into your audition room, I 
believe I strongly believe that I will be fine in this show and yeah. I'm not gonna yeah be a, a liability or anything and so don't you know don't yeah, don't assume that I'm gonna be incapable yeah. or... and you've, you've you've proved yourself in, in many shows I mean you were in nine to five as well weren't you You were one of the three leads in, in nine yes. to five yeah yeah so that was with the uh, Douglas Coral Union. It was, and yes. they were great as well. Again, another another great director who had, had actually worked with um, blind students in a, a youth drama group before, uh-huh. so was was very aware of of things and didn't have those kind of false assumptions in place. Because I completely understand where they come from. That maybe if you've never met someone with low vision or you've just seen films which are notoriously inaccurate. That you might get that get this impression that there's going to be very little I can do, or that I have no vision at all. Yeah. Um, you expect me to walk around with a big white stick and yeah, or a dog, or yeah. just you know <laughs> crashing into walls all the time. And that's it, it, it's not it's not the case. So yeah, it's it's just kind of it, it, sometimes I do feel like even though, as you say, I've done a lot of of shows and I've I've had years of experience that I do have to prove myself. Yeah. A bit more, which which gets very frustrating because sometimes I feel like. Minds have been made up before I've even opened my mouth. Yeah. It's, it's hard to change people's minds if yeah. they have an idea in their head before you've even started your audition. Um, I mean, I've I've had a similar thing to that where, because I'm quite a strong dancer, I've I've been gone for for, for principal roles, for the lead roles, and they thought actually Neil's more val- valuable in the ensemble, and I've ended up dancing my way out of a lead role because I'm yeah, better suited in the ensemble. It's so. difficult, isn't it? Because I think you do you you get kind of put in a little pigeonhole yeah. like I say I've I've been in the character actor pigeonhole for a long time e- even when I was sort of young enough to play the sort of sweet ingenue I, yeah. I was never cast in those <laughs> I would still be cast as a 60 year old hag with a comedy regional accent um, and sometimes I just long to be the the glamorous leading lady and well, I don't um, know because because way, way back in what, 99 2000 uh, we we both played in in Rookery Nook and you were young Poppy the lifeboat girl <laughs> Rookery Nook. Don't bring back traumatic memories on this podcast, Neil. Yes. Rookery Nook, which was a terrible 1920s farce. A Cooney farce, wasn't it? Ray Cooney a Ray Cooney farce. So it was yeah. all kind of slamming doors and running around and young ladies in their underwear. Yes. Namely me. Um, yes. And, and I, you, weren't, I remember, you weren't that old at the time either. I was not. I was about 15. <laughs> it was, I'm not sure it was entirely legal. Um, yeah. And I, I'll always remember that. It was, it was terrible. And I didn't come on till act three. Yeah. And I'll always remember I, I just, I knocked at the door of this house and my first line was flags for the lifeboat. <laughs> It's amazing what what sticks in your mind, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'll, twenty I'll years later. That one. <laughs> I, mean, I can remember the first line from the Peel Panto that I did in nineteen ninety four when I was Tom Foolery, Red Riding Hood's brother. It's just crazy what what sticks in your mind. And could yeah. I ask, could I remember what Emma asked me to do before I went up? <laughs> no, not at all, not a chance. Um, how did you get started, Gemma? What what was it that first got you into theatre in the first place? Well, I mean, I I'd, I'd loved kind of performing and. I suppose being the centre of attention since since I was a kid, but yeah. I think as as any as any child who can project and learn lines will know, you that doesn't necessarily mean you get to sort of be Mary in the nativity. It means you get to stand at the side and be the narrator. Yep, narrator for many years as well. <sighs> so frustrating. <laughs> All I wanted to do was be up there in you know a tea towel and a dressing gown and play, playing some sort of role, <laughs> and. Um, and so it, eventually I, I joined a, a youth drama group at the weekends and that led to the first ever show that I was in, which was a production of The Railway Children. Right. And it was uh, just an amateur production in a 
very small community theatre in Rochdale. Yeah. But to 11-year-old me, that was like, it was like I was playing Matilda on the West End. Yeah. It, I thought I'd made it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really got the bug from that. And then I, not too long after I, I moved here and, and just happened to see a poster for Legion Players auditions. Right. And that was that was how I got started. Brilliant. So was that so with that that role then in in uh, the role of children was that was that the first role that you that you ever played? Uh, outside of of school and things, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I was one of the Perks children. Wow. And in fact, I was I was one of the boy roles, but they didn't have enough boys auditioning, so they stuck me in a flat cap. <laughs> so I played Bert. I, I saw a, a production at QE2 a few years ago of um, Joseph is amazing technical dreamcoat, and my nephew was in it, and. I think they're supposed to be twelve brothers, and they had then they had seven, and three of them were girls. So similar situation. Yeah, I mean that's actually another another kind of pigeonhole I've been put into. Not so much now, but when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, because I was had short hair. Um, if I wasn't playing a, a sixty-year-old comedy hag, I was playing a boy. <laughs> so, so I got used to that very quickly. Brilliant. If there's a role that's that's at the top of your bucket list. What would be what's what's the dream role? What's the what's the one role that you would kill to oh, play? I mean, there's so I there's a whole long list of them. Yeah. Um, but just to pick one, I would really love to play Sally Bowles in Cabaret. Ooh. I've already got the haircut. I'm ready to go. But it's it's got a lot of the things that appeal to me. There mm. is comedy character stuff yeah. involved, but there's also that darkness, which is a thing that appeals about Mrs. Lovett too. Mm-hmm. And again, quite a complex character, not necessarily one who would make the same choices as I would. But then that's that's what we all love about acting. We get yeah. to just try on someone else's life and 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 just yeah. Um, I I love the show. The music is great, and it's such a star turn kind of a role. But it's it's a dark show again, and it's a dark yeah. it's a darker show than everyone ever really sort of gives a thought for. They, they just think of the big numbers, the, and yeah, the, the glitz yeah. and the and the showbiz stuff. But yeah, it's and the Liza Minnelli film, and they forget about the fact there's there's the Holocaust and and all the yeah. I I like a bit of darkness <laughs> in my shows, though. I like I I love the humor and everything, but I do like it when when things kind of explore darker or more political territory. Yeah, and that doesn't happen in. I, sometimes in musical theatre, certainly not in in everything. I mean, we, the last production to be on at the Gaiety was The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. which went to some quite dark places. Yes, and and while we're talking about it, was a fantastic production. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, the the choir at the back. Oh. I was just the sound they made was yeah. I was oh, I was blown away. Yeah. But yeah, so I think musicals can certainly go into some quite dark territory. But I think a, a lot of the ones that that I've been involved with, or, or ones that tend to get bums on seats, are kind of the lighter, more frothy things. Fun. And yeah, fun, fun things, more light-hearted. A, a good night out at the theatre, like Spamalot. Like Spamalot. What a fun show that was. It was. Yes, I um, well, I played mul- multiple little roles in that. That my favourite of which was getting to be the French taunter. <laughs> um, and I... shout insults at you all from the battlements. That was a lot of fun. I nearly put that T-shirt on tonight as well. <laughs> so your your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the best part of the night for me. It was great yeah. as well because, it again, quite a daunting thing because there will be people, you know there are going to be people in that audience who know that sketch word for word. Verbatim, yes. And will be expecting it to be delivered as they expect it to be delivered. Mm. So there wasn't a massive amount of freedom in terms of characterization, no. or you had to sort of stick to 
you know what it was like in the film but it was quite nice because i i started that scene crouched behind the battlements and then i kind of sprang up and the minute i sprang up in my armor and silly helmet and drawn on mustache (laughs) and said hello who is it and i just sort of always hear this little ripple from the audience of oh it's this bit (laughs) this bit here we go yeah yeah (laughs) you're listening to the manx theater podcast with neil cullen so have have you done any have you ever done any shakespeare no, I would love to. I'm actually Me too. gutted that I couldn't audition for Much Ado About Nothing yeah. because while we're talking about dream roles, Beatrice is mm. on my list of dream roles. I, w- I would give my right arm to play Beatrice, but unfortunately, I was too busy playing another dream role. Yes. There was too much of a crossover with Sweeney, so I couldn't go for it. But I, yeah, I've for quite a number of years, I've really, really wanted to do some Shakespeare. I, I studied quite a bit of it at university, but only ever got to sort of workshop odd scenes yeah never actually done a full production but it's yeah it's on my bucket list so what did what did you do at university um the course was called english and writing and performance brackets theater slash film slash television close brackets so so it's pretty open then (laughs) it's a big i mean what it really was i think was a course aimed at making you teaching you to think like a director yeah it was for training up directors Unfortunately, I came out the other side of it thinking, I'm not sure I'm geared up to be a director. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did give me a lot of insight into how to look at a script yeah. and see and envision a production yeah. and see beyond kind of the words on the page and how you can bring them to life. Um, I have directed. It's not my favourite thing. I'd rather be I'd rather be up there performing. You'd rather be in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd rather not have all the responsibility. Well, that's, that what, that's what scares me about yeah. directing. The book stops with you. Yeah. So away from theatre then, um, you're a writer as well, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I do bits of freelance writing here and there and I write fiction as well. My, I mean, my, my dream outside of, of theatre stuff is to be a published author one day. So uh, do, doing my best to... So we, achieve that. Have we got something in the works at the moment, or, or is there one of the, the lots of little unfinished projects out there waiting no, to I'm, be? No, I'm I'm very close to finishing a full manuscript that I'll be sending off to literary agents and things. So wish me luck. Exciting. Well, watch this space then. In that case, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's it's a lot of a lot of things in the publishing industry are down to luck and timing and all kinds of things beyond your control. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it can happen. So um keeping my fingers crossed that one day it will going back to theatre then of the, the shows that you've been in i mean actually you know what i was going to say when we were talking about shakespeare there before do you think there's a lady McBee in there being as she's dark and scary she's and, dark yeah. yeah yeah that that would be that would be quite a good role i i think what i like about shakespeare though, about modern productions is that you're not necessarily limited to your own gender no i've seen quite a few productions um on things like Theatre Live, mm. the, the televised ones. Um, I saw one, it was a, a, a trilogy, and it was all set in a women's prison. Mm-hmm. But they did uh, The Tempest, Henry the Fourth, Part One, <laughs> and uh, Julius Caesar, and it was yeah. with an all-female cast. Oh, wow. And it just, it, it didn't matter, and it didn't feel gimmicky, and a lot of the cast were using their own regional accents. Yeah. And Shakespeare with a really strong Glaswegian accent sounds amazing. <laughs> um, but it just sort of opens up the possibilities as to what what is possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Lady Macbeth would. I I I'd love to play that. But you know what? Let's 
Why not Hamlet? Yeah. Let's let's go Why, for the I mean, there's, There are so many things, right? Yeah, because Maxine Peake, she played Hamlet, didn't she? She did. That, that was... I, I don't know if you do this, but whenever I go and see a play or I read a script, I automatically pick the part I would want. Oh, yes, yes. Every time, every uh, yeah. time. And with Hamlet, there was nothing I wanted. Ophelia never appealed, Gertrude oh. never appealed. And I just thought, oh, I don't want to be in that play. And yeah. then I saw the Maxine Peake production and I thought, oh, well, why not that part? Yeah. She was she was great. I'm a big fan of hers. I mean, and they're doing it in the West End now as well as with the most recent version of Company. Uh, the character Bobby switched genders as well. Yes. So, and that, I mean that I being alive is possible. If I can pick one favorite musical theatre song, if I had a gun to my head and I had to pick one, yeah, being alive might be that one. So yeah, to to have the opportunity to sing that, I can't sing it without filling up. Yeah. Completely getting choked up. I can't, I can't yeah. ever get through it. But um, yeah, th- things are just becoming less rigid Yeah, in the, terms of that. People are playing around a bit more and I think that's really exciting. During lockdown uh, on the National Theatre Live, there was a production of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream yes. and they'd, they'd tweaked that slightly. So the sort of the opening bit was a bit more kind of Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. But then when they went into the actual sort of story, they'd switched around uh, Titania and, and Oberon. Yeah. So that it was Titania that put the spell on Oberon to make him fall in love with Bottom. And from there on in, it was it was anyone's game. Well, it's that kind of thing you hear about it and think, oh, sacrilege. Yeah. You can't, you can't mess about with the bard like that. But then I watched it and it was completely irreverent. It's one of the best productions I think I've ever seen. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah. And it, it was irreverent without being disrespectful yeah. to Shakespeare or the text. It was just, well, hang on. There's been a million and one productions of this that have been played very straight why why can't we try new things exactly and, and, and oberon's was... oberon's seduction of bottom to the soundtrack of <laughs> beyonce <laughs> was just yeah. something else <laughs> yeah it was it was great it was for for anyone um who thinks shakespeare is very kind of doer and serious and stuffy and boring stuffy and boring and not a good night out i would i would say try and find some copy of that production somewhere yeah. and it will change your mind it, it was brilliant it was it was accessible i think there, yeah it wouldn't be anyone who went away thinking well i didn't understand that or that no. was too highbrow for me it was showing that shakespeare is for the masses it's for everyone yeah i mean shakespeare done well it takes a couple minutes for your ear to tune in but after that you shouldn't notice the fact that it's in old-fashioned language no, or whatever, I, so. I remember i not so long ago i watched and it, again it was on it was through the theater live on tv and I watched Andrew Scott playing Hamlet. And I watched it with my mother, who, you know, has not gone to uni and studied Shakespeare. And she'd, whenever I dragged her to productions, <laughs> you know, when I was younger, she'd say, well, it was good and everything, but I didn't really understand the, the kind of minutiae of what they were saying. Yeah. But with Andrew Scott, who I really admire because he acts, but he doesn't do acting. Yes. He's very naturalistic. And it's like he's just thought of the words a split second before he, he said them. Mm. And she said, like, that was the first time that I saw Shakespeare and I understood every word. I yeah. completely got what they were saying. And it's because it was done in that, not in that sort of 1980s BBC, yes. very declamatory fashion. Received pronunciation. Yes. yes. Okay, as I was going to say a minute ago, before we suddenly stuck back into that uh, Shakespeare, what would be the favourite role that you've played so far? I mean, the cheats answer is Mrs. Lovett. And yeah. she, she may she may have got to the top spot now. It's a, it's a tie. There's two. One is I got to be, when I was 18, I got to play Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion. Mm. And did that slap bang in the middle of my A-levels, but didn't care because I just had to play that role. 
and the other one is is Tracy Lord in High Society. Right. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't say it was my favourite show or my favourite production that I've been in, but that role. Yeah. When I went into it, it was one of those. Well, I have nothing in common with this woman. She's rich, privileged, quite in love with herself. Yeah, a bit and stuffy. Has, yeah, and has three men fawning over her. Mm. That does not reflect my real life in any way. Um, but the more, like I said, I really like to kind of dig into a character's psyche. And the more I did that, she has a lot of vulnerability and, yeah. and insecurities that she masks. And I found that I sort of had more in common with her than I thought I did. And I really enjoyed the fact that in a light, fun, frothy musical, she was quite a complex character. Yeah, She had more depth than I thought she did at the beginning um so i really enjoyed the process of kind of unearthing that it's quite a growth of character isn't it throughout throughout the yeah. show as well so yeah she yeah she she comes to terms with who she is and who she really loves and has to kind of confront the maybe not so pleasant sides of her i forget which one of the three of us she eventually ended up with whether she was ended up with the man who she was going to marry or or the no, ex-husband the or ex-husband the... Uh, yes. Yeah, and then your character ended up with uh, the photographer lady yes, who you yes, were working with. Yes, yeah, yeah which uh, wonderfully played by uh, Lisa Dancox. Yes. A lot of fun, the four of us, with, with Simon Fletcher as well, wasn't it? Yep. Okay, we've talked a few bits there about uh, the, the roles that you, you've played and some of the eccentric bag ladies that you've played. <laughs> costumes. There must have been some interesting costumes over the years. What would you reckon, you, would you say, are the, probably the best and, and are the worst costumes that you've had to wear over the time? I think the best would have definitely been something John Cumberledge put yeah. me in because he's very skilled at that. I think probably the the dress I wore for the masquerade number in Phantom of the Opera. Mm. And it was one of those, when, when I first saw it on the hanger, I thought, what is that? Mm. It was this pink and lilac kind of, almost looked like a kind of sugar plum fairy type dress. There yeah. were striped tights that were the, the colour of bagpuss. Um <laughs> Instant vision. And I, I thought, what on earth? Is it? But then when I put it on, it fit perfectly and it fit the scene. We were all in these fabulous mm, sort of... Outlandish. Outlandish masquerade ball costumes. And it looked great. And look, looking at the pictures under the lights, it, it looked great. And I ever since then, I've completely trusted John's judgment on whatever yeah. he's going to put me in. So that's the best one? The worst one. What's the worst? I mean, it's, it's hard to narrow it down, but it would have been something <laughs> from my Legion players days because... Bless them, companies like Legion Players, Service Players just simply do not have the budget no, no. and the sponsorship and things that the big musical societies do. Yeah. So they, they can't just go and hire things from the National The RSC Theater. or yeah. whatever, yeah. We, we, do, we managed to a couple of times, actually, yeah. and we got some beautiful things. But most of the time what would happen is the wardrobe mistress would come, would come around and say, um, have a look around the charity shops yeah. and see what you can find, which wasn't so bad if the play was set in the, the 80s. Yeah. Not so easy if it was set in the, the 1880s. Yes. Yeah. So, I found a nice bustle dress down in Oxfam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not often you find a full kind of Regency regalia in the Red Cross. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wore some quite shocking things. Um, <laughs> yes. But that's, that's what happens. It's amateur theatre. Sometimes you are working on a budget of about £3.90. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's, you, all, it's all you can do. you just got to make the best with, with what, you, what you've got. And, and quite often as well, some things that, you know, your costumes like that will look 
terrible in the, the stark light of day, but once they're lit and you're on that stage in the right scene, yeah. then suddenly suddenly they can look an awful lot better than they than Well, I think they do. sometimes as well you have to just let your own pride and ego, <laughs> you know, put that to one side and go, I'm not wearing that. That's incredibly unflattering. But if it fits the character, yeah, it's exactly. got to be done, hasn't it? Yeah. Okay, so this this uh, last question then. This is this is our gender sort of question. Yes. Sometimes this is more difficult for the guys than the girls. And I don't know whether that's because yeah. of historically there haven't been that many shows with big big female leads and quite often mm. the girls find it a little bit easier. Or, or actually sometimes some of the girls tend to struggle because they don't want to go straight, well, obviously it's Javert or it's Valjean. And... Yeah, Javert was my, my first kind of knee-jerk answer was Javert, yeah. but then I thought that's such a basic answer. Yeah. It's Everyone kind of obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to think about this. In, in musical theatre... There's one role I would love to play, and it's in a show that is it is very popular in the US. Mm-hmm. It's one that every Amdram group does. Not so popular in the UK, which is the Music Man. Oh yes, I really I think it has such a clever score. I, Hugh I really Jackman's like currently it. got a, a revival on Broadway yes, at the moment, isn't he? Yeah. So I would say yeah, uh, Harold Hill in the Music Man because I love fictional characters who are roguish, yeah, who are you know kind of tricksters, mm-hmm. um, fast talking smooth talking can talk the way out of any bad situation a lovable rogue a lovable rogue and that's who harold hill is he's he's a con man yeah he's a slick con man and there aren't that many female roles like that so i'd yeah i'd love the opportunity to play to play him or someone like him one day okay now this is where we get a little bit serious yes now it's time for the sweeney todd quiz (gasps) right so i've had these ask the same questions with David, Alex and Hannah, and um, let's see how well you do. I'm oh going to break you in easy, okay? but there are some tricky ones in the middle. And maybe maybe finish off with some easy ones as well, but let's let's see. Anyway, right, okay. okay, here we go. Question number one. Who wrote the music and lyrics for Sweeney Todd? I think that was Stephen Sondheim. Correct. So that's one. <laughs> so you're, not, you're not, a, not a complete tin hat. Sounds good. No, I got one. This is, this is good. What year was the original Broadway production? Ooh. 79? Oh, on the head. And then the following year, in 1980, it hit the West End. Oh. Okay. Who played Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett in the original London cast? The London cast? I mm. think... Mrs. Lovett was, I think, Sheila Hancock? Oh, she certainly was. And I cannot remember who played Sweeney. It was Dennis Quilly. Ah. Give you, give you a half for that one. Okay. In the movie version... Who played Judge Turpin and Beadle Bamford? Uh, that was Alan Rickman and Timothy Spall. Oh, you're on fire. Right, question number five. I'm giving away spoilers there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's... yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, question five. And now this is one you'll either know or you won't. So it's probably just finger in the air and have a guess. Yep. How many Tony Awards did the original Broadway production win? I've absolutely no idea. Let's say six. Eight. 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 Oh. It was nominated for nine, but only won eight. Ah. So it won Best Musical, Book of Musical, Original Score, Leading Actor, Actress, Direction, Scenic Design, Costume Design. And the only one it missed out was Lighting. Ah. But well, I'm sure they were all well-deserved. I'm sure they were pretty happy with, with getting getting eight of them anyway. Yep. Okay, what is the opening number of Act Two? God, that's good. God, that's good. I would have also accepted more hot pies because 
no one's entirely sure which which one it is actually called. No, that's that's the most frequent <laughs> lyric I think in the song. Okay, question seven: How many people are killed by Sweeney Ooh, throughout the run of the show? Right, I'm gonna have to top this up. Let me, I'm gonna count on my fingers. Let me think. No names. No, I'm gonna do this silently. So there's that one. Mm-hmm. There's him. There's him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that one. There's that one. There's that one. There's that one. Seven. Eight. Eight. Who have I missed? It's one at the end of God. That's good. Oh, that's who I missed. <laughs> I'm busy on another bit of the stage. I don't right. even see that happening. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> eight is eight is our best guess. There may be one or two more that we we kind of that's inferred, but for, for, for oh, the best guess, many more. It's eight. There's probably yeah. there. Well, there's probably many, many more unseen, but yeah. but ones that we do see, there is eight. <laughs> okay, question eight in the Manx Operatic Society's 2004 production, who played the role of Mrs. Lovett? That was Sarah Holland. Correct. Question nine. Now, this isn't actually referred to within the show, but it depends on how much research that you've done. In what year is Sweeney Todd set? And I'm talking about the original book that the play and the musical is based on. This may not necessarily be where John has set it, but the original story. You and I had a conversation about this, and it's much earlier, I think. I think it was about in the 1780s or something, did you say? I'll give you that. 1785. Yeah. Whereas the production is is eighteen fifties, I would say so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we had this conversation with 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 Artie on his podcast, and he reckons that because of the guns that we're using, they decided there was one that was sort of seventeen hundreds was a bit seemed too old, but yeah. the one from the eighteen hundreds seemed about right. I, th- I think it's because as well. I think it's deliberately set in that kind of the middle of the nineteenth century because yeah. it's in it's it's the industrial revolution, yeah. and that's it's industrial. It's Victorianish. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the final question then. The story of Sweeney Todd first appeared in a series of Victorian Penny Dreadfuls and it was serialised in a magazine over 1846 and 1847. It was called Sweeney Todd and the String of... What? Sweeney Todd and the String of... It's not sausages, is it? (laughs) No. Murders. Oh, no. String of Pearls. Ah, okay. I did start to read it, but uh, I, I never got through it because it was I was reading it reading it a bit late at night, and it's really quite a small print, and it's mm. you know it's eighteen hundred and forty six language, so it didn't really sort of it wasn't a smooth read. No, I will get back to it at some point and and, and read it and <laughs> find out what happens to the Beetle Bamford. <laughs> yeah. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven out of ten. Oh. Well you've you know you've joined with with David. But I think oh, I'm not even beat David. Didn't beat David. No, his his were largely guesses, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you've done slightly better than the combined score from Alex and Hannah. So okay, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. Okay. Um. So moving on then. Um. Our Spotify playlist. So back in July 2020, um, we launched our Spotify uh, musical theatre playlist. Now, this was was our idea of having the the ultimate musicals playlist. Neil King and I, when we set up, we added 10 songs each in because that made us a decent set playlist to begin with. Because, you know, who wants to listen to a playlist with two songs? Since then, every person that's come onto our podcast has, uh, has chosen a song that means something to them. It's a song that they've sung or it's their favourite song from a musical. And so far, I mean, we're running up to about, um, I think we've got about 47 songs on the playlist already now. So uh, some of those, some of the highlights that, that we've got for time is uh, Manx Project Society's very own Nikki Openshaw. She chose You Will Be Found from Dear Evan Hansen. Lorcan O'Mahony, he chose If Only You Would Listen from School of Rock. And David Artis chose The American Dream from Miss Saigon. So Gemma, what is your song and why? 
my song is Shine Like the Sun from 9 to 5. Oh. Uh, and there is there is a slightly cheesy story behind this. Lovely. Um, and it kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier with um, things that I can sometimes find difficult in, in productions and, and sometimes that leads to a good experience or a bad experience. Yeah. Uh, before I got the part in 9 to 5, I was involved in another production with another company. And unfortunately, it wasn't the most pleasant experience. Um, I was very much outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So I I sort of asked for a little bit of extra support. Sadly, that did not materialize. And um, I was unfortunately made to feel like I was causing problems because of things I I can't control. Um, And it ended up getting quite upsetting to the point where I had to leave that production, which I felt terrible about because I I didn't want to let people down. And also I was quite fearful of, I mean, the Isle of Man's a small place. I thought word would get around that I was a quitter and a liability and I'd never work in this town again. (laughs) And um, and I I felt really, yeah, diva. And I felt felt really down about it. And then these auditions came up for nine to five. Not the, the type of show I would normally go for but I thought well I'll listen to the soundtrack and see if I like it and there's this song that ha- uh, comes at the end of act one where the three leading ladies have just reached their limit with their awful misogynistic boss and decide that they're going to take some power back um, and it's a very kind of feel good triumphant song Yeah. and the verse that the character of Judy sings when I was listening to it it felt so sort of relevant that I kind of teared up a bit and if I was the sort of person who believed in signs (laughs) I I would have taken it as one and I so I auditioned I got that part and I got to sing those words on stage every night and really mean them Um, (laughs) and yeah and just had had a lovely time with a lovely bunch of people and I I don't know if anyone in the choral union realized how much my confidence and my self-esteem were on the floor when I came into that but they certainly weren't by the end. And yeah. I'm, I'm really thankful for that. It was just one of those kind of serendipitous things where the right role and the right show came along at just the right time and, you know, scraped me off the floor and put me back on my feet. And and then a couple of years later, I end up with a role like Mrs. Lovett. And that, that was kind of what kept me going and kept me going back to auditions. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, Gemma? Thank you very much. It's been great to chat to you today on the podcast. Um, I wish you all the very best going into Sweeney Todd. And, Likewise. Um, yeah, I'll be there behind you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and brilliant. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast. So we've recently become aware of a few more productions taking place this year to add to the ever-growing list. The All Island Theatre Company are putting on a production of Matilda Jr. from the 10th to the 13th of August, and then Three Legs Productions are producing Moana Jr. from the 26th to the 29th of October at the Gaiety. Then, in November, Stage Door Entertainment are putting on a production called Elegies for Angels, Punks and Raging Queens. That'll be from the 23rd to the 26th of November at the Balcomine Studio Theatre. Elegies is a musical with music by Janet Hood and lyrics and book by Bill Russell. The work features songs and monologues inspired by the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt and the Edgar Lee's Masters Spoon River Anthology. Each of the monologues is written from the perspective of a character who've died from AIDS and the songs represent the feelings of friends and family members dealing with the loss. Now this is quite a considerable cast. I saw the cast list published last week 
and there's about 35 40 named characters in there one of which is me. I have to put my hand up and say that. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be interesting. So hopefully then we'll get a chance to catch up with the teams behind each of these productions in the future episodes. So with that, we bring episode 31 to a close. Thanks once again to David, Hannah and Alex and Gemma for joining me on the podcast to chat with me about Sweeney Todd. And we wish them all the very best for the show, which, following a delay, now runs at the Gaiety from Saturday the 12th of March to Friday the 18th of March. There's no shows on Sunday the 13th or Wednesday the 16th. So with just five performances, make sure you get your tickets now to avoid disappointment. You can get your tickets from villagaity.com, the Welcome Centre, or by calling 600-555. Remember to like and follow our social media pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. And don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist by searching for Manx Theatre Podcast under Playlists. If you have any events that you'd like us to talk about or promote on a future episode, you can contact us through our social media accounts or by email to manxtheaterpodcast at gmail.com. All that remains is for me to say thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time on the Manx Theatre Podcast. I've been Neil Callan. Goodbye. The Manx Theatre Podcast, taking a look behind the scenes of Manx Theatre. For me.